welcome to this episode of Teaching Today podcast, brought to you by the Teaching Council of Aotearoa New Zealand, with me, your host, Francesca Hilbron. In this episode, we explore professional boundaries, something teachers grapple with on a daily basis. Behind some of the headline-grabbing incidents we see lies a more routine reality for teachers today. A teacher has to establish relationships with the student, with Fano, and demonstrate that they care about every child or young person, but teachers must do so without crossing professional boundaries. A line which is often blurry and only gets worse as the use of technology and social networking grows. We sat down with internet safety and risk assessment expert John Parsons to talk about managing professional boundaries as a teacher. John works alongside other organisations to deliver training in child protection to those who work with young people. Where teachers have a duty of care for themselves, making sure that they understand those boundaries that they express to students, protect the child, but also protect them. The problem that society makes is that when they look at a teacher, they go, right, this teacher has got to perform in this particular way. What society needs to realise is that there, is, there are other people within a school, not just teachers, and everybody has a role to play within a school. from, I presume, a Sunny Nelson. That's right, thank you for having me. Tell me, first, how did you get into this business? Um, I worked in the private sector, a lot of work in risk assessment, a lot of work with organisations that had had certain crimes committed against them, particularly around fraud and things like that. And then, um, probably 12 years ago, 13 years ago, a, a police officer had heard about the work that I was doing around building resources for young people to engage technology. Because what we have to understand is that any decision a person makes is based on who they are as a person, the background they come from, who they are. So I started to build resources that focused on who that person was to help them make decisions that kept them safe when they used technology. And a police officer had heard about this work. He got to work with me and we started to formulate some lessons and some modules, which was 12 years ago now. And from there it just grew. And I'm now travelling around this country. I'm booked out two years solid on this work. So. Great, so we'll get a chance today to talk about your expertise in the digital world yeah. and also I think really important for our teachers to talk about your views on professional boundaries. It's something that teachers grapple with okay. every single day and they're trying to balance that with a whole lot of other things and all kinds of pressures. Society of course has really high expectations of teachers. I don't think any of us can argue around that. They're trying to impart knowledge in a way that helps children be creative and lead their learning. They're trying to uh, nurture well-being. They're trying to protect young people from harm. And the challenge, of course, is that nothing is black and white, nothing's linear for any of us. And so sometimes those professional boundaries become quite blurred. Can you tell us what you're seeing out there when you're out on the road in terms of that? Yeah, so my day with the school basically is from 9am till 9pm at night. And what happens is um, I'll work with the students through the day, and then at 3.30, 4 o'clock we do a professional learning development workshop with the teachers, mm. and then we do the parent evening on the night. So it's a real wraparound. We work with all stakeholders. And just to give you an idea of how that started, I'd worked in a school that had gone through a major incident where there'd been a, uh, a paedophile within the school and I went to work with that school after uh, with a commissioner to invite, advise them on certain things they need to put in place. And this commissioner back then said to me, you know, you need to take your experiences back into the school to talk to teachers about best practice, to look after themselves. And that's when I came up with the term duty of care, where teachers have a duty of care for themselves. So when I do the workshop with teachers, it's around making sure that they understand those boundaries that they express to students, protect the child, but also protect them. Because if they step outside of that professional boundary and something is taken out of context, 
They're not compared to the thoroughly hundred odd thousand decent teachers in the country. They're compared to one or two that have committed crimes. So it comes back to the duty of care they have for themselves. So when you have these workshops, what's the main message and who's attending them? Teachers come along, management, uh, principals, DPs. It's a message for everybody. Uh, one of the messages that I send to management and principals and boards is that you have layers within an organisation and each layer needs to know how to follow procedure which can inform the next layer. And if one of those layers is subpar or doesn't perform properly or doesn't follow the right procedure, that affects the layer's ability above to respond appropriately. So we call that defence in depth, layering health and safety. So we get everybody we can into that room to talk about the challenges that teachers may face within the classroom and also how to give them support and the right kind of training. So it includes everybody within the school. That can be receptionists, it can be teachers' aides. Anybody that works within a school has a, a responsibility to express the right kind of boundaries through professionalism. So when we're talking about teachers, we, we're not just talking about teachers in isolation. There's a whole system there that needs to support them. There's no question. I think the problem that society makes is that when they look at a teacher, they'll go, right, this teacher has got to perform in this particular way. What society needs to realise is that there are other people within a school, not just teachers, and everybody has a role to play within a school that, A, keeps a child safe under NAG 5, the National Administrative Guideline number 5. So schools have got to create a safe, physical, emotional environment for all students. If a complaint is made against the teacher, it will trigger NAG 5. So we don't just want to focus on the teacher. When we, when we provide this knowledge for people that sit around teachers, supporting them in their role, teachers benefit from that as well. You talked about the challenges that teachers face. What are you hearing from them in this, when you go out of their biggest frustration? We've got our way of describing what teachers need to be doing uh, through their policies and through their codes of conduct and things like that. And there's this big conversation around teachers have got to create a relationship with families and the students. A relationship. And often when I work with a school, I can get a bit of pushback on talking about boundaries and professional boundaries. Because often teachers might say, well, you know, we've got to build a relationship with families. And it's required in the code, of course. And it's required in the code. But it has to be from a professional standpoint, not a personal one. So a lot of my work with teachers is around what that looks like. Um, and give you an example of that. One of the biggest risks that I see for teachers is they silo themselves. They cut themselves off from support from management by not reporting what they're dealing with often. So let's say a mother comes into school with a child at 8.30 in the morning. The girl is shaking from head to foot and she's crying. And the mother gives the child to the teacher to hold her and hug her to calm her down so she can get through the school through that day. Now, if that happened on two or three occasions, you would expect the teacher to make a note of it and seek advice from within the school about what's happening for the child and to speak to the mother to get them some support. What's going on outside the school that causes the child to come to school in that, in that condition? What can often happen is the teacher starts to meet the needs of the parents and fails to meet the needs of the student under NAG 5. So in that moment, the teacher starts to look after the child from 8 o'clock in the morning, um, helping to get through the day, but doesn't report it to the management. That's a missed opportunity for the child and for the teacher. Is this because teachers might say to you, I'm so busy, I don't have time, or... What's the point? It never goes anywhere. Uh, I think there's some of that, but in the particular case that I worked in, uh, it started with this idea of hugging. And I'd said that teachers have got to be really careful. If you hug a child that doesn't need one, it puts you in, in harm's way. There's no question of that. And the teacher became very concerned with what I'd said. And she said to me, you know, that's unfair. I have to give this child a hug every day. When we looked into that, um, I explained to her, well, how long has that been going on? She had about six months. And I said, well, 
So for six months, you've been able to keep this child in one condition and nothing's improved. What you've done is you've siloed yourself. On the third day, you should have said to the mother, I'm concerned for you and your child, and I'm going to get some advice from the lead in, in the school, and we're going to sit down and have a conversation to see what's going on. Maybe then we can get you some more support. Not doing that silos the teacher and puts the teacher in harm's way where they step outside of their own working boundary. Absolutely without question, teachers need more support in this country. They need more support to understand their clarity of role, what their role is as a teacher. The first thing I say to teachers is if you are presented with a conflict or something that's outside of normalcy, then you need to remember the clarity of role. You're a teacher, you've got a certain role to play in that child's life, including getting support if you believe the child is in harm's way. But that doesn't mean that you've got to cross a boundary and start providing medical help or medical support or medical advice. Let me take that back slightly. Within the situation of the child that was coming to the school that was shaking all over, in the end, the teacher was Googling how to hack the child sleep at night. Now that, in my opinion, has, has kind of crossed the line because that needs to be referred to the GP to get professional help for that child. So the, the teacher got caught in that moment, she got caught in the drama, and she started to meet the needs of the, the mother, but failed to, to meet the needs of the student. So I do think more support needs to be provided for teachers. Uh, we, we remind them of the agencies that are wrapped around them to support them. We call them transition points. Who is there to support that teacher in that moment? You know, who can help them? So, so on that point, I imagine there are people, listen, well, teachers at least listening, and you've probably heard this a lot of times, which is, that sounds really great in theory. What mm. a great opportunity we have to have a system that works perfectly. And mm. I say, this is my responsibility now. Agency A, whoever they are, it's time for you to take over. I'll make mm. my notification and mm. then you'll carry on. We know it's less than ideal, don't we? It doesn't work that way. There's no question. I do want to say on behalf of Orangutan Mariki, uh, I get to work with them, um, and I can tell you there are massive successes that that organisation has had in this country. Huge successes, but obviously they can't report them. I'm not suggesting that we can't do better, all of us in some shape or form, but we can't allow, we can't allow those historical things that we've seen in the press or other places to stop us from following the process that will best help that child in the long term. If we buy into that and don't follow a procedure, then it puts the teacher in harm's way as well. What happens when it happens to a teacher and then they say, right, this is my role, I've now followed the process, mm -hmm. the media gets involved, the teacher's hung out to dry. You didn't do, there was no nurturing going there, you didn't care, you know, should you be in this role at all? Let's just go back to something very important. Teachers are professionals. They belong to a profession. And if society um, accuses them of something, they need to step back into that mindset and just keep their chin up. I'm a professional. I've spent four or five years training to do this. I know what I'm doing and follow the procedures and follow the processes. We cannot control what society says, but what teachers can do is remind themselves of who they are and how important they are in their role. And, and I, I do want to say this. It's the only profession I know where the client can come in and tell them how to do their job better than them. You can't do that to a dentist, you can't do that to an architect, you can't do that to an engineer. Now as much as you've got a document here that reminds them that they are professionals, I think the biggest mission that the government has got is to remind society that they are professionals and start treating them like professionals because that's what they are. What I will remind teachers of is this, if a complaint is made against them, the first thing is looked at is have they followed procedures? And there is no defence to say that, uh, you know, I, I, 
I'm part of a small community and these are my friends and I've known them for 20 years and things like that. It doesn't work like that. So I now I'm quite um, direct on that because I am passionate about teachers protecting themselves and looking after themselves. I do believe that society is expecting too much from them. I think society has got to have a conversation with itself and say, what do we expect teachers to do? What do we want them to do? They are there feeding children. They're providing them with breakfast. They're doing all of these kind of things. Is it any wonder that teachers forget that they belong to a profession when they're being pulled and stretched in all of these different directions? That's the challenge that we've got. And my work is to centre them, to bring them back to their clarity of role. Often the biggest challenge is this, that when you bring a teacher back into their professional way of viewing their own role, they often start to feel like, well, does that mean I don't care? And that's not the case. Mm. The reason they've got the capacity to think like that is they've been dragged so far outside of their knowledge base and skill set that they think not to be doing what they've been doing for four or five years is in some way subpar, and that's not the case. And what you're saying is it's because they do care that they'll try and follow the process that's been put in place for safety. Absolutely, absolutely. And you care through procedure. You care through procedure. That's, that keeps a child safe. You care through clarity of role. And, of course, when a, when a needy mum or dad comes in and they need help, I'm not suggesting that we don't support that person. I'm, sa I'm saying the opposite. But if a teacher silos himself and gets caught by the drama and starts to meet the needs of the parents and not the child, that's when things go wrong. And I always come back to this. We care through procedures. And we do see that here at the council in terms of some of our conduct cases. It's the relationships yeah. That have caused some of the challenges for for teachers, whether it's in a small community, whether it's in the school itself, or just with your everyday interactions with, with yeah, parents. Yeah, I was involved in one where a, a female teacher had been talking to a group of students through cell phone use, and it had gone on for two or three years. And some of the conversations in there were not consistent with the role of a teacher. Yeah, let, let's talk about let's go into the digital mm -hmm. part, which mm -hmm. is really your world. Mm -hmm. And this whole idea of blurring the lines between what's acceptable in terms of your professional and your personal life. And of course we've got the new code, but we had the code of ethics before social media was even around. And so people are still grappling with that. Um, what's tempting young people to go into online communities maybe that they shouldn't be going into? What's tempting them to go into the online communities? Yeah. I think that young people, um, well people in general, uh, were wired and born to communicate. We are social beings. And the internet is the greatest gathering space that's ever been created in human history. And we don't quite kind of understand it. We don't understand it fully yet. And with any form of communication, if you don't... There are two conditions requiring successful communication. Respect has always got to be there and empathy. Take one of those two things away uh, and things start to go wrong. But ultimately, at, at the base, information communication technology is simply communication. That's all it is. We all want to communicate. So if we think about that, that idea of communicating differently, and I don't know what the difference is between before we had social media and now, mm. but if we think about teachers uh, accepting their students as friends on Facebook or sharing private messages or texting uh, after hours or in the weekends, I make the assumption that that probably didn't happen before. You probably weren't ringing your student up at home in the evenings. It's more tempting yeah. to do it through this digital way. You're right, and there's a few things in that. You know, we talk about work-life balance as well, and where teachers need to make sure that when they're at home, they're mothers or fathers or partners. 
Uh, often what you see is uh, lots of parents will be contacting teachers over the weekend, sometimes through social media, uh, they're needing help for their child. I hadn't on thought Monday. about the parents doing it yeah, actually. So the parents as well. So first question I say to teachers is, how do you feel about that? And you'll get a, a range of responses, but the majority is we don't like it. Well, teachers have got to express those boundaries. They have to educate the parent community that they are also members of families and they've got a right to enjoy their own life. So, so again, that's where that, the, the idea of that profession gets eroded because I can't speak to my dentist or my architect on a Saturday night, you know, unless I've got a toothache, but then it's an emergency. Do you know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. So I think that teachers have got to express those boundaries, but that requires strong management to also give them the ability to say to parents, look, I don't work you know, at this time of the day on these particular days. But in answer to your question, um, how do I feel about um, social media for teachers and students? If I'm a principal in a school, my biggest nightmare is if I've got teachers that have got social network connections with students that are private and don't meet the needs of the student educationally. That's my biggest nightmare. Because if something goes wrong and it gets taken out of context, I'm the one as the principal that's got to meet the lawyers, sit with the education council, go through different interviews to find out what's going on. And that throws shade across the whole school. And this is what you're hearing from principals? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. There's no question of that. So teacher has a duty of care for themselves, but they also have a duty of care for their fellow worker. They're all under one roof. And if one person drops their standards, it affects everybody else. I see it in my work. I see these kind of things. And the other thing I want to say is this, that because of the imbalance of power between a teacher and a student, it is vital that they wrap themselves in boundaries to protect themselves. One other thing, if a teacher doesn't express boundaries, how can they expect a child to form and express their own, which will keep them safe when they're older? I often say to teachers, obviously your role is to educate and empower them in the present, but you're preparing them for a future as well. And I just want to bring something to you here if I could. Yeah, um, we talk about commitment to learners and the code of professional responsibility. Heading commitment to learners, uh, and number one, promoting the well-being of learners and protecting them from harm. So I would suggest if teachers form social network connections with students that are not built around educational need, that management have no knowledge of, then it confuses the child about what their relationship is with a student, with a teacher also, which disadvantages them. You know, we are constantly telling children that, you know, uh, and young people, you, you build your relationships in social media based on these particular conditions. Um, and if somebody doesn't fit that condition, they shouldn't be in your social media account. Well, some teachers crusade against that and they form these relationships. There is nothing criminal in it. It's not about that I don't trust the teachers. But we have to look at it from the perspective of the child, from the student. And one other thing, no parent has any reasonable expectation that when their child goes to school, that they're going to have access to an adult's personal life. But might you as a teacher, because I don't know if we're saying no to Facebook or how it's used, so might you as a teacher say, I'll set up a Facebook group for us in the class to do some activity. Perfect. But... I won't be engaging with you socially. No, and I'll be explicit about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So if, if a teacher's got their own Facebook account, by its definition, it's theirs. It's theirs for their family and their friends. The student is not their friend. A social network has got um, far, less, far less ways of... Uh, we, we can talk in social networks in a relaxed manner. 
how we project ourselves to our family and to our friends is often different how we perform at work. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But exposing a child to that, I think, does them harm as well. Um, so I absolutely promote Facebook. Use this technology. I, I help schools build their Facebook accounts. If a teacher wants to use a Facebook account uh, to engage students, they need to define the educational need that they're meeting. Once they've done that, yeah, create the account and let management know that it exists. Once management knows it exists, it protects the teacher as well. They're not siloing themselves. They're making sure management knows. So if something does go wrong, they've got some protection. But that account is not a page off their own account. It's a separate account which is covered by a policy that the school generates. Perfectly acceptable, and I will say this, vital. I would want teachers to, to pursue that way of delivering communication because it's efficient and it's very cost effective. Nothing wrong with that. Let's talk about low decile schools. Mm -hmm. There's a real great area for some of those in terms of child safety. So we're going back to the professional boundaries bit. Um, what are you seeing? Do you visit low decile schools? I do indeed. Yeah. So I travel from Southland to Northland continually. Sometimes that's okay. with the police. Uh, and other organisations where we go in and talk about a range of different issues. But I, I want to come back to something. Um, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that you said low decile. What, what was the reason for that? In what way? So some of the conversations we've had with people are it's harder because there's less support. Uh, some younger students or children have higher needs. Mm -hmm. you know, they've got more pressures on them. Some of them are living in poverty. They're not getting the support at home. Mm -hmm. Does it make any difference to what you see? A, a difference to the teacher's role. Okay, yeah, so yeah. there's no question there is a lot of pressure on the teachers in mm. those situations, mm. you know. You see teachers providing all sorts of things for young people that need it. That's the reality of the world in which we live. However, regardless of the decile of a school, there are some processes that should be the same in every single school that we go into across this country, regardless of background for the students or their families. Let's talk about processes or, or policies, maybe, and there's been some talk around... You know, schools having, do they have a child protection policy? And there'll be a whole lot of other policies around social media. Mm -hmm. But I think you, correct me if I'm wrong, might have a particular interest in child protection. Yeah, I, I, I often work with the, the Safeguarding Children team, which is uh, a team of people that deliver uh, professional development around child protection. Is that a multi-agency? Uh, they bring in people around them to, to deliver that workshop. Um, and I started with them about nine or ten years ago. So you've got in this country, you've got people like the Safeguarding Children Initiative, and you've got Child Matters, uh, a, a large national organisation that deliver education in this role. My role uh, in I go, when I go into a school is to help them understand how to follow procedures. To give you an idea of that, I worked in one school that had gone through a major incident, major incident where there was a, a predatory male within the organisation. And notice I didn't call that person a teacher. Gotcha. Okay? Because they're criminals. Because teachers don't commit those kind of crimes. They'll never get that label from me. So the first thing I... When I was called into that school, I, we'd called everybody together into a room. And it's a devastated environment, as you can imagine. Because many of those teachers have been deceived as well. And the first thing I asked them to do is to show me their child protection policy. And none of them in that school could show me their child protection policy. They'd never been introduced to it. They didn't know it existed. So there was one, but nobody knew. What happens is it sits on e-drive and catches digital dust. That policy's got no value at all. A policy is worth 10%. The rest is what we call socialising it into behaviour. But you've got to have a relationship to that policy. So the first thing I did in that school was have 240 of those policies printed. And every single teacher, every teacher aide, every receptionist 
bus driver, they all had their own copy of that child protection policy. So they know exactly what to do if they're presented with a situation where a child needs um, uh, the appropriate response taken. From 2015, there was a major focus on NAG5 right. and having a child protection policy, right? So we, it was like an episodic surge. It was, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And those policies went into place. But what happens over time is they get relegated to a second position where they're not understood and they're forgotten. Secondly, when you get new teachers coming to the school, they're not introduced to that policy. Right. And if they've come from a school that is not good at following procedures, that puts the next school at risk as well. So when I go into a school, I make sure they understand their policy, how to follow procedures, what they need to be doing if they're concerned for a child's safety, which again is what we call clarity of role. That protects the student, but it also protects the teacher as well by following the right procedures. And um, I can say without hesitation, there are many schools in this country that are completely firmly locked into the importance of giving their teachers that policy and understanding it, but there are many that still haven't quite got there yet. Because you, everyone needs to buy into it, right? Teachers, staff, everyone. teacher A's, the board. Everybody, yeah. everybody, you know, uh, everyone needs to understand what the policy and procedures are. The situations we deal with are real. Mm. Part of New Zealand, when you sit across the table from teachers who are about to lose their career or principals that are under stress because they're going through an investigation, that imprints on me. And I take those real stories into the schools. And that's the biggest motivator for change. Uh, my hope is that I can get back into the universities to talk about the, the things that we see going on to better prepare them for when they do um, walk into those schools. One thing I get teachers to do, I, I help with induction processes, right? So, that is an induction of mentoring of new yeah, so, teachers? Yeah, so yeah. I went to a school recently where I, they'd got 10 new teachers come in uh, and, uh, and various support staff. So I do an induction for them with a specific theme. The first thing I introduce them to are their code of standards, they absolutely need to understand that. Are we talking about their code and also the standards? Absolutely, the yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The next thing I introduce them to is their own child protection policy. Then I give them some ideas on what they need to be doing if they're concerned for child safety. I will officially introduce them to the designated lead in the school. I then talk, I talk to them about what NAG5 is. What we do in those induction processes then is introduce them to the culture of the school. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So before they've even got into the school, um, they understand what's expected of them to protect the student, but also themselves through process. So let's have a, let's hit the mark around physical contact. This is a really big thing, and of course, it's different for people at ECE as it is for people in primary, and then again, different for people mm. at uh, secondary, children and teachers. And of course, you know, individual teachers—they're the experts, right? We we trust them as professionals. They're yeah, they're on the ground making decisions minute by minute, day by day, hour by hour, and sometimes they have to make snap decisions, of and course. we've got to trust them to do that. So is it a blanket no? Well, I, I think, first of all, um, you're right. The reality can be different to what we can look at aspirationally or from the top. Hugging is dangerous, but when you get down to it, there are certain situations where it would be unavoidable. But what I will say is this, that teachers that hug students that don't need one put themselves in harm's way. They also confuse the child about what the relationship is they should have with teachers, all teachers. That's my biggest concern. And I'll go even further. If there is a predator within that school and they observe that lack of boundary, that enables them. That's one of my concerns. One of my concerns. When schools express the right boundaries, certain types of crimes, they are harder to flourish. There's no question of that. 
But, you know, I've had teachers say to me, well, if the child is having an asthma attack, are you saying that I can't hug them? I said, I didn't say that. You know, that's an emotional response, and I understand it. Um, you've got every requirement there uh, to support and help that child breathe, you know. Uh, pick the child up, carry the child, get them help, whatever you need to do. But we're talking about hugging, so I get a lot of emotional responses from teachers. And of course you've got the, the challenge of the whole idea of restraint or the concept of restraint. Absolutely. So teachers are saying, I, I don't feel empowered Let, now that there's all these rules and regulations. Let's go back. Let's Often from teachers in primary schools, where the, the child comes in from kindergarten and they're all huggers. But surely the role of a teacher in that moment is to wean them off that dependency, to help them move away from it so they become functioning, independent people. And there must be a transition, right, that, that we as a well, profession need to look at in terms of going from early childhood into your There's, no, there's no question at all. Uh, one it's a situation where there was one child, a, a boy who was nine, that needed hugs every day. And that had been going on for two or three years. After the conversation that I had with them, what they realised with, what they should have been doing was putting a plan in place to help him need less and less of those hugs. That's a missed opportunity for that child. So what's the response in that case from the teacher saying... Absolutely clarity of role. Mm. They said, when you place it in that context, when you give it that narrative, we understand what you're saying. Another question I'll often give to teachers is, um, if you had to say to a child, I can't hug you, would you feel bad about yourself? And they'll put their hands up, yes, 30%. They're making it about themselves then and not the student. I, I hear that, but we very much... We like to think our teachers are mm. nurturers yeah. and I'm sure that all of our teachers would say yes I am and yeah. that's the expectation of yeah. them yeah. and drawing that line is incredibly difficult. It is, it? there's no yeah. question but if you if you are going to call yourself a professional within a profession then you have to agree to, to abide by a set of standards that protect you. It's a, it's, it's a fact, we can't move away from that fact. So the two things I've heard quite strongly are and I don't think I disagree is that we are a profession, we are professionals, and we need to be able to make those professional judgments yep. that are right for the learner and for us. Yes. And also, teachers can't do this alone. They need support from other agencies, and they need support from their managers, their schools, and also their peers. Absolutely. Uh, society plays a role in supporting teachers. We understood that in the 70s. We understood that in the 70s. Something's happening today. Something's changing. And I think part of my mission is to help society understand how valuable teachers are because I see the work that they do. So in terms of how positive you feel for the future about how much change can happen in the next few years? Mm. How, how much change? Uh, I think that part of my mission is to, con to continue to remind teachers that they are valuable assets to society, to remind themselves that they are professionals, to not silo themselves, we seem to be moving into this litigious society where finger pointing continually occurs and we move away from that word partnership. So I'm going to say this to teachers in this country. Change the narrative. When, when something goes wrong, look at the contributing factors. If a boy has been bullied for six months, look for the contributing If they're blaming you for that, for not responding, have a look at the contributing factors. If the boy is 10, he shouldn't have been in Facebook in the first place. If 80% of it is happening on a Saturday night and a Sunday morning, that is a failure of the guardians, not the teacher. But build it in that partnership framework. Don't accuse anyone, but look at all of the contributing factors. I think that's where the best change can occur, is if we start to, to re, not reinvent, but bring back what that really means, that word partnership. It's, if the definition of it is a shared responsibility, 
So through that partnership, I think teachers have got a right to express their concerns through newsletters back into society. There are lots of things that we can do, but teachers have got to lift their chin, put their shoulders back, because they are valuable individuals within society. And through their own agency, express professionalism. Can I end on one thing before, mm, we, be, before we finish this? It's more of a personal note. Uh, when I was 13, I lost my mum and dad at 13. And that was a hard time. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I'm fine. I've got the, one of the greatest lives in the world now. I'm, f I'm absolutely fine. Uh, I had the best parents in the world till I was 13. They were people that were quiet and calm. They never raised a hand to me. Uh, the best parents. So they set me up from that point to carry on. I was angry. I was sad. And when I went back to school, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in the school. So I kept walking out and wandering the streets. I, didn't, I wouldn't, didn't want to go back to the school. And I used to stand outside the school gates. Terz Green Secondary Modern, Birmingham. Mm. And this teacher would come out and talk to me. She was kind, she was graceful, she was decent. She was calm and kind. And in some ways, she reminded me of my mother. But she was professional. And she used to say, we just come back into the school and we'll give you some food. Because in those days, you got a hot meal. She'd come back to school. So I went back to school and I never looked back. And I'm here today now speaking to you because of the decency and professionalism of a teacher. That's why I'm passionate about their rights. They do an incredible job, an incredible job in this country. I'll tell you how important they are. You go to a country where the democracy has been overthrown and the dictators go after the educators because teachers are more powerful with their guns and bombs. They are terrified of teachers. They speak the truth with integrity. That's how important they are. So I've got the greatest job in the world to be in their presence, to remind them of how valuable they are. And if there's any teacher out there now that thinks they're not making a difference in a child's life, that go home to situations that are less than ideal, just imagine what their life would be like if you weren't in it. You're doing a great job. Keep doing what you do well and keep your chin up. Thank you very much. And that wraps up this episode of Teaching Today. As always, thanks for listening. And as John said, thanks for all you do as teachers out there. Check out the Code of Professional Responsibility, Examples and Practice for positive examples of what it means to be a member of the teaching profession and uphold the overarching code principles. Join the conversation on social media or email us with your feedback. For more podcast episodes, visit educationcouncil.org.nz.